the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Jesus' seven letters in the book of Revelation to the seven churches of Asia Minor address attitudes that affect the church in every age to the end of time. In fact, the seven churches represent seven attitude epics that reach from apostolic days through the Middle Ages to the very end of time. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. We'll complete the Church of Ephesus and the Call to Love on today's broadcast. We appreciate you listening. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast. I'll have information on how you can attend the worship service in person if you would like. You can also attend anytime online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Last time we were together, we brought you the first portion of the Church of Ephesus and the Call to Love. We will conclude that broadcast now. The Church of Ephesus and the Call to Love. Here's our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. There's no way that you can follow a line of church leaders all the way back to the beginning and find good men in the mix all the time. It just doesn't happen. If you really want apostolic truth, you need to go back to the documents that are apostolic that we have today. And so the battle for the Bible was a battle to determine who was an apostle. It took 300 years to figure it out. Our New Testament is the apostolic witness of the men and women who knew Jesus. Now, why do I say women? Because the men who wrote the New Testament went to women for sources as well as men. Luke researched his gospel. I know he talked to Mary. I know he talked to Mary Magdalene and others. So it's the apostolic witness that goes way back. The false apostles claimed the same thing when they didn't know the truth at all. When they didn't have this pipeline from God, they claimed they did. They claimed that God was speaking through them more than Jesus, more than the 12, more than the 70 apostles, more than those who witnessed his life and death, and they corrupted the church with this. False apostles came early in the church. So how do you determine what's truth today? Friend, Jesus made it very clear. Turn to John 17, 17. Christ said, sanctify them in the truth. And then he said, thy word is truth. Now I, for one, am not impressed with a preacher or teacher who claims to be a Holy Spirit-filled preacher when he or she will not submit his opinion or ideas to the Word of God. Friend, it is the Bible, the Bible only, that is the test of faith. Jesus said, Thy Word is truth. And the apostles bore witness to the truth. Pilate said, What is truth? John makes it clear in Revelation 1-2. It says, He bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. That's truth. So apostolic truth is New Testament truth that agrees with the Word of God in the Old Testament in the New. Now Jude was the brother of Jesus. He said, contend for this faith which was handed down to you. Friend, if you're not in your Bible, 
if you're not studying the word of God on your knees for yourself, guess what? You're going somewhere else for truth in your life. Am I right or wrong on that? Am I? Sometimes people say, Pastor Mike, what do you think on this subject? And here's my answer. You want to hear it? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what Pastor Mike thinks. It matters what the Word of God says. Thy Word is truth. So apostolic truth is New Testament truth. That is God's Word from the Old Testament in the life of Christ given by the apostles, sealed with the end of the New Testament canon and rule. In the letters to the seven churches, the form is the same. It starts with a portion of the vision of Jesus that the church needs to see, which is the truth. And then it moves to that which they are doing good to encourage them if they are doing anything good or else ignores it. And then it moves to the necessary instruction of what is needed. That's how the, the letters are laid out. So the letter to Ephesus starts starts with the truth about Jesus, then encouragement, then rebuke. Now, if he can, Jesus never starts with a negative. How many of you ever felt like God just out to point out the errors of your life? That's not what's happening here. He starts with the positive before he gives instruction. Now, I've had children. Some of you are having children. I saw that coming in. Some of you have had children, right? And now my nest is empty. I have Smokey to take the place of two boys. It's not the same. Now, frankly speaking, I learned that in correcting children, there are certain things you don't do. Because sometimes I did it. Here's what you don't do. Stop! Why did you do that? You shouldn't be doing that. Now that happens occasionally with every parent. Don't tell me it doesn't. I know it does. Okay. Is that a good way? (laughs) Silence. Whoa. It isn't. Okay. Or what about this? You pull your child to your side. You say, you know, you're such a good little boy. You've been doing a lot of good things. But in this area, you need to change. Now, what, what did you start with? Affirmation, then you move to correction. Now, there are times in the seven churches where the affirmation is missing because the situation is so bad, Christ just moves straight to correction. That's all right. But it shouldn't be the way we correct our children all the time, Right? should be the rare exception when you have to be strong, not the common rule. So we find Jesus here is a good example for parental modeling. Revelation 2.4 But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. What a statement. See, it's possible to defend the truth to reject, and to reject the greatest truth, that Jesus died for the very people that you're in conflict with. Christ died for the heretic too. Jesus died for the saint and the sinner too. Christ died for the consistent believer and the flagrant abuser of the church too. More important than the standards of the church are the people that Christ died for. You hear me? He died for all of them and you. And so you can fight against error. You can draw lines in the sand. But if you don't draw a circle that brings a brother in, then the line is wrong. And while it's true that we must defend the faith, we must love the unfaithful. We must love them as Christ loved them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave him for people who went wrong. And we must remember that we, at one point in our lives, and may even still be at some point or another, the wrong person that God has reached out to save. And so to win the battle means to win with love. Revelation 2.5, remember then from what you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now some people say, well, Jesus will never let you go. Does that make sense here? 
Look at verse 5. Does it say that? Christ will let you go if you persist in refusing his counsel. That's what love does. Love is not codependent to where it clings to you irregardless of what you choose. No, Jesus will let you go if you want no more of him. The word remember means that they forgot the teaching of love that John and Paul taught them at Ephesus. They held on to the orthodox teachings of the church as such, but they stopped loving people in the church. And before he died, Peter described the Christian virtues that we all need. The man who had let the Lord down grew in the Lord. And these virtues come when you claim the promises of God for a changed life in the Word of God. And we find love at the top of the ladder. Turn to 2 Peter 1.3 and let's read down to, through this. The Bible says here, Peter is speaking for Christ. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, that through these you may do what? What does it say? You may escape from what? From the corruptions in the world because of passion and become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, you can become like God. doesn't mean you are God. It means you can become like Him in character. For this very reason, make every effort to supply your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. And before we move on, verse 5, he says, make what? You know, a casual effort? What does he say? Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, See, there's a hierarchy here in Peter's letter. Self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection. And what does it end with? And brotherly affection with? You see, when you start the Christian journey, you learn to love over time. It doesn't happen overnight in your life. Peter's letter of virtues ends with love. Real faith, real virtue, real knowledge, real self-control and steadfastness and godliness, real brotherly affection ultimately leads to what is real godly love, agape love. Verse 8, for if these things are yours and abound, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you don't have love, which is the culmination of these things, are you an effective Christian, yes or no? No. A knowledge of Jesus is first and foremost a practical knowledge of Jesus, a knowledge of love. Verse 9, whoever lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Now, how are we cleansed from our sins? The cross of Christ, right? Hebrews 1 says he made a cleansing of sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. You see, if you have forgotten the cross of Christ in your life, if you forget that Jesus died for you, If you forget that Jesus forgave you, or you deny it, then you will not be a loving person. Did you hear me? Christian virtues will slip away from you if you don't believe God forgives you. So if you have fallen from love as a Christian, you have to go back to the cross. You have to become broken. You need to fall down at the feet of Jesus and hear him talking to you at the cross of Calvary. Father, forgive them. That means me. Because I don't know what I am doing. Jesus says, remember then from what you have fallen and repent. Or I will remove you from the universal church. I will take your lampstand away. You will no longer be mine. If you have fallen from love, friend, the church of Ephesus holds the first epic truth of the seven churches. Remember the cross of Christ and return to love. 
The believers at Ephesus had fallen from love because of the Nicolaitans. At the end of his rebuke, Jesus identifies the source of these false apostles. Look at verse 6, Revelation 2. Yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, who on earth are these Nicolaitans? You ever wondered that? You read the book of Revelation, don't have a clue? The name Nicolaitans only occurs twice in the book of Revelation in the instruction given to the two churches. Revelation 2, verse 6, and we see it in Revelation 2.15. In Revelation 2.15, it is the letter to the church of Pergamos. And here we find more information. So let's just look at verses 14 and 15. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice immorality. So you have also some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans resemble Balaam here. They're a stumbling block to new believers and seasoned believers too. Now we know who Balaam was. He was that prophet who wanted to prophesy against Israel so that they could be cursed and God wouldn't let him. Finally, he ended up leading the the people of Israel into immorality before they entered the promised land. And he was killed and others as they were overtaken by the armies of Israel. So food sacrifice to idols here, which is connected to Balaam, means that they have mixed the beliefs of other religious systems with the worship of God given in Scripture. Incompatible. And here we find that immorality means they have lost it all in terms of self-control. So the Nicolaitans have undermined the teaching of the church and the moral standards of the church. Now, the word Nicolaitan is in fact a Hebraism. A Hebraism is a Greek word that comes from the Hebrew, more accurately here, the Aramaic. It's a word that's been adapted from the Hebrew and Aramaic family of languages, which has become a Greek term. In fact, this term is found in Numbers 25.18. Now, how do I know that? I haven't found a single commentary that has discovered this. I was reading the Targum Onkelos and the Hebrew Bible when I discovered that this very allusion to Balaam contains the word for Nicolaitan. So this is a new discovery. Look at Numbers 25, verse 18. It says, For they have harassed you with their wiles. Now, who are these people? This is the group that led Israel into immorality. It was working with Balaam to do it. It says, For they have harassed you with their wiles, with which they beguiled you. You see the word beguiled in your translation. Some translations would say deceive or or something like that. Now, the word beguiled is the root word for Nicolaitan. In the Aramaic, it's Nicolaon. Can you hear it? has the same consonants, N-K-L, that we find here. Nicolaon, Nicolaitan is a Hebraism. The Aramaic translation in the Targum Onkelos is almost identical to Revelation 2.6. So who are these Nicolaitans? The word in Hebrew used in Numbers 25.18 means to beguile, to plot, to be crafty, to practice deceit. The Nicolaitans are those proto-Gnostics of the first century who are plotting to corrupt the church with paganism, false apostolic teaching, and worldliness. They were immoral, they didn't care about the cross of Christ, and they were worldly. And they had no problem corrupting the church. But nevertheless, there was a danger for those who stood true in defending the faith without love. Have you ever met somebody who said, I'm going to fight for the faith, and they're the hardest person on earth to live with? Have you ever met someone like that? You just never have, have you? Well, maybe you are someone like that, right? Well, I have been someone like that. I I can remember just, you know, digging in and saying, I'm going to fight for what's true. And end up destroying the truth. Because the truth that needs to come through me is the love of God as I portray the truth. Not, Not some stiff, righteous, 
judgment that stands in judgment of others. You know, we should give the truth as Jesus did. Jesus had tears in his voice as he brought his scathing rebukes. He loved the person he was reaching out to. When his enemies were persecuting him at the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That is truth. And as Christians, we win the war when love wins in us. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. Faith working through love is the victory that overcomes the world. Revelation 2-7, Jesus ends, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who conquers, I will grant him to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The goddess Diana was called Diana of the Wood, and the great temple of Diana was built right near Ephesus. There's only one pillar left standing of that temple. The rest is sunk into a marsh. And the great temple of Diana, at this temple, there was a wooden shrine of a tree that resembled the tree of life. Tradition held that a statue of the goddess fell from heaven and a grove appeared in a thicket. The statue itself was encased in a cedar tree, which became the house for the shrine of the mother goddess. She became the tree of life for the people of Ephesus. And the shrine of the tree became a refuge. We know this from history. For anyone who wanted to escape punishment. And the idea was you didn't have to change your heart. You didn't have to change your behavior. You could escape if you just came to the tree. In Revelation 2.7, Jesus is the one who has the right to the tree of life. And the tree of life is not in Ephesus or any other city. It belongs to the paradise of God and is given to the one who overcomes and who repents. To the one who overcomes, he or she will eat from the tree of life where Jesus lives in paradise. The church of Ephesus contains the first epic attitude in the Christian church of the first and second century. It is still needed in the church today. It is a call to love as Jesus loved. To remember that when you fight for the faith, You fight for the souls of those who need Jesus. You care about the sinner more than being right. As Christians, we win the war when love wins. In this past three weeks, I've been involved in a project at my home that has taxed every ounce of my wits to its end. I'm frustrated telling you about it. It has been an IT nightmare for me. Now, I like deals. I like getting printers that or inexpensive. I like putting things together and tinkering. I found a $4,000 network printer made by Hewlett Packard, high capacity printer for $150. I bought it. It was an old government printer, barely used, and I bought it with with my money, fresh toner in it. The toner in that printer will go 30,000 copies. I get less than 5,000, maybe 4,000 or less out of these little $70 toner cartridges. I mean, this is the way to save money. I seized it as a network printer for the church office. I haven't had a church office since 2007 when someone burned it to the ground. So here it is. I want a good printer, wireless printer for the office. 
I bought that thing and I bought a Bluetooth adapter for the back of it to sync this whole, this wonderful piece of equipment with my MacBook Pro laptop. See, I'm trying to find the perfect interface. IT heaven. I worked and worked at the thing to get it to work and nothing worked at all. Have you ever had that happen? It would print and then it wouldn't print. I mean, I loaded the drivers and it would come up with these crazy messages, sporadic at best, error command or syntax error. I said, just tell me what's wrong and you just give me these silly things. It would print it right over the pages that I needed perfect printing on. I said, why did it do that? It messed up it. Just leave it alone. If it doesn't print it, leave it blank or something. Put that on it. I put driver after driver on my computer. I went through the internet looking for anyone who wrote a driver for this thing. Nothing fixed the problem. I battled with the thing one day after another, almost a month. My spare time dominated after work hours. I wanted to put it in my office. I worked with the settings, and no setting changed the problem at all. I stayed up in the late hours of the night trying to research it out, and Diane would say, come to bed, honey. And I didn't come to bed. I, I worked on this, this printer. I called technical assistance in Bangalore, India. Nothing worked. They didn't have foreign help for it either. No one could figure it out. Now, Bangalore is a great site for IT expertise. It's the, it's the new Silicon Valley of the world, really. But no one could figure it out. I was so mad with the thing, fighting every inch of the way to print a page for my computer. There comes a time when you just have to quit. Am I right? I mean, it's not worth it at some point in time. And it got worse. Late in the night, I got temperamental with the thing. I looked at that printer, and it became my enemy. It was no longer just a printer I was trying to fix. It was the enemy. Smack the thing. Work. You know, that's what they do in the movies. You hit the thing, and suddenly it starts working. Didn't work. You know, it should normally take 15 seconds to print 20 pages, right? It took 20 minutes to print 20 pages. And they were all wrong with errors all over them. Finally, I made the decision to give up. But before I did, I walked over to the printer with my MacBook Pro laptop, sat down right near the back of the printer, and I did something I hadn't really done in earnest. It's not an IT solution you could find online. I prayed. Dear Jesus, fix this awful thing, please. I mean, that's not a profound prayer, but it was my prayer. And so sitting right there, I loaded the driver again. And then I locked it in, which means I couldn't change what I did unless I had the passcode. Then I tried to print the document for the last time. Suddenly the printer came alive. 32 pages pumped out of that thing with no errors, and in less than a minute it was done. And as I sat there dumbfounded, I mean really dumbfounded, I felt terribly ignorant through this whole process. I tried to figure out what made the difference, really. The Lord doesn't break natural law to fix this thing. He answered my prayer. But what made the difference? I was trying to fix the thing. And, well, what made the difference? And as I was sitting next to the computer with my, my MacBook Pro, I looked at the little blue light blinking on the back of the wireless transmitter, and I said, the only thing that has made the difference is distance. I was sitting the other side of the printer, away from it, 
And evidently, my computer couldn't talk to that Bluetooth adapter because of this large mechanical device that was in the way. I had to get closer to the communication device for it to work at all. Nothing would work unless I got close. To fix the problem, I had to to get up and go to where I could communicate and be close. The problem wasn't with the printer. The problem was with me. It was the problem of distance. I was too far away to fix the problems. Friend, if you're struggling with sin, you can't overcome. If you're struggling with discouragement that gets you down, you're fighting battles and you found your Christian experience reduced to a loveless experience of fighting for causes but not caring for others, it's time to quit fighting the problem as such. The only way is to get near to the communication source that ends the problem. You must hear the words of Jesus where the the link is sure. You must come close to him. You must see the vision of Jesus in the word of God. Your eyes must read the Bible. Your lips must pray. You must come into association with the words of Jesus. And when you do that, the one you need to hear will be near you and he will interface with you. The love we need in the church comes from a personal relationship with Jesus. And you need to get near to Jesus when you get down on your knees and you open up your Bible and you pray to God to speak to you his word and you pray for someone else as you study the word of God. And when that communication occurs between you and Jesus, you will see Jesus as the one who holds the seven stars, who walks in the midst of the seven lampstands. And you will not just know about Jesus, you will see Jesus. You will know that he's near for you. And you will know that you have all the love you need, all the love you need, close inside, to overcome the world with love, just as he did. That will conclude the Church of Ephesus and the Call to Love. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentanko. You can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. And if you would like to attend in person at the church, we would love for you to do that. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Your heart.